You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Wayhai in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. Uh, well, picking up from where we left off. I uh, hope you remember where I we remember. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. So for people listening, this will be part two of our interview with Anita Arnold uh, talking about you, but also talking about Charlie Christian. Is that right? You look, yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay. I have a podcast later this afternoon with a guy who sounds similar to that, and I was just like, I had this fright in my face. I was like, I got the name wrong. Um, yes, so picking up in part two, um, we're going to talk about a little bit. You know, we talked about a lot about you in the first kind of part, and the second part will be about Charlie Christian, how, how you get involved, what you're doing with it, and then the festival that's coming up. Okay, so, you had seen the image, right? I think so, yeah. Yes, you showed me last week, uh, last time I came down. Okay, yes, the well, the new poster, that, yeah. Yes, well, folk are wild about it. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, it looks like we'll have um, guests from, okay. from uh, not only out of state, but out of the country. It's amazing. Because they are crazy about that poster. Yeah. And we're going to be. Um, displaying it around the city in highly trafficked areas mm-hmm. on banner poles. And that will add to it. And so this year we're going to do it a little bit different. We haven't had banner poles in a long time. So uh, there will be some banners that will have company names on, you know, who uh, purchase banners. But we thought it would be real cool if we had the name of the artists, the bands on different ones. And then we thought it would even be cooler if we had a jam session uh, on one, you know, in different spots. Uh, Battle of the Bands Mm -hmm. and then the main concert. So we're still working with these, but we will be informing the public about everything that's going on down at OCCC, Oklahoma City Community College, this year uh, at the festival. It'll be unlike any of the festivals we, we've had before. And, of course, we're excited about Mark Whitfield, who is one of the Charlie Christian guitarists around the country. Uh, every time I turn on my Sirius radio while riding down the, the street, uh 
I hear either Christian McBride and Mark Whitfield or Mark Whitfield with some other uh, great musicians. So we're just we're just thrilled to have Mark come in as our headliner, you know, on that last day on uh, June 3rd. Amazing. So it's going to be great. Uh, and we're making sure that uh, all those folk around Oklahoma City Community College know about the festival. Um so it's it's a lot. There are there's excitement in the air. Yeah. Let me just say that people are very excited about this, and it's about to run me to death. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. You just need to get through it, and then you can take a break and go on vacation. And that's that's correct. That yeah. is correct. So uh, in the midst of it, though, I, I'll just throw that out there for what it's worth. My youngest grandson lives down in Dallas, Texas. And recently, he decided to become a track runner. Okay. Now, he's graduating from high school May 26th, just before the festival. And I intend to be there. But Alex Arnold, that's his name, um, he's the youngest child of my only son. And that's his only son. But the thing that's really cra- crazy and just great about Alex is this. He's, real, he's a very reserved kid, you know, and he kind of stays to himself. He did, he told his dad he wanted to run track. Well, that's interesting since he had not run track since uh, five years ago, and that was just doing something, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going to do a walk-on. Do you know he's been slaying them? <laughs> he's been slaying them. He's got hundreds of scholarships by now. Awesome. I mean, good. yes, a life is exciting sometimes. It's yeah. really exciting, and I just wouldn't trade shoes with anybody for anything. That is brilliant. So, um, so you'll be down there watching him graduate and then heading straight back to Oklahoma City to Yes, yes, and yeah. uh, my son is going to come up and yeah. help with the MC, and we'll have two uh, MCs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, handling the, the, the festival over the weekend. And uh, there are people who want T-shirts already. I mean, they want posters. They want banners. They want everything. They think that image is really, really yeah. the best. Brilliant. And I agree. Yeah. I agree. But, I mean, to a person, there has not been one that even frowned and looked like they want to say something negative. So I think we've got a winner, That's a great. big winner on our hands. So. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to keep up with the phone calls and with the requests. And we're not really staying ahead, but we're close behind, yeah. you know, all of what's going on. Staying above water. That's all about. Yes, yeah. uh, yes, that's right. <clears throat> so so for people who don't aren't aware of who Charlie Christian is and kind of what he meant to the world and, and just kind of how the world really just missed out on seeing him play, you know, his guitar for the rest of his life. Um, tell everyone a little bit about kind of his history, who he is, what he meant to the world, and then we'll go into um, how you sort of got involved with everything as well. Well, Charlie Christian, uh, it's funny because some people were so uninformed about Charlie Christian. In fact, some people said, did you know him? (laughs) And I thought, no, I wasn't born in 1916 like he was. So Charlie Christian was born in July the 29th, 1916. And the only thing we have in common is we both graduated from Douglas High Well. He didn't graduate. He was supposed to graduate from Douglas High School, but that's the same school that I graduated from many, many years later. Uh, But Charlie Christian um, was just brilliant. I mean, it was as if though he was born to do just exactly what he did. And when he had made his mark on history, and it was a big mark, he was out of here. That was the end of it. I mean, some people say, oh, if he had only lived a little while longer. You don't know. You don't know what's around the corner. That might have been the only reason he was born. And so um, he had his moment in history, and Billy D. Williams said it perfectly when he met uh, Charlie Christian's only daughter, only child. Uh, He said, remember one thing, it's one thing to be good, it's one thing to be great, but it's quite another to be first. And Charlie Christian was first. And as far as I can tell, he should be 
remembered forever and ever. Why? Because of his work on the electric guitar. And I don't think, I don't see an end to making guitars right now because the guitar crosses every genre of music that you can think of. You see it in the churches, you see it in jazz clubs, uh, you see it on the streets. I mean, uh, the guitar is everywhere. And so Charlie Christian is uh, the father of the electric guitar. Uh, he's the father of bebop. He put it on the map. Um, why didn't others do that? I don't know why they didn't do that. They just they just didn't think like he did. Uh, as a student at Douglas High School, he just kind of stuck the microphone down in the hole of the guitar and plucked the strings. Up until that time, people were just strumming the strings, and the guitar could not be heard in an orchestra or any serious uh music combination because it was just a rhythm instrument at least that's what they they that was the perception at the time but what he noticed about it was you could put this technology and the music together and you were on to something new something nobody had ever heard before and then uh, some of the musicians that I talk to who are no longer here uh, but knew Charlie Christian uh, they all say the same thing his music was different uh, it sounded like a horn it didn't sound like you know uh, a guitar that you strum or tried to play and you got it all wrong but he said he had his own unique sound and that horn-like sound uh, I think uh, many of them told me that they believe it was the influence of Lester Young uh, on him and so uh, he was unique in several ways with that instrument and so Anybody that knows their history, their guitar history, should know Charlie Christian. If they don't know Charlie Christian, they need to get busy because they're far behind because he did this many years ago, many, many years ago. Uh, he died at the age of 25. He did. He, he had a lot of recognition. Uh, he as a matter of fact, the recognition started almost the instant uh, Benny Goodman gave him the nod that he was going to be with him forever and ever, and he was until he died. Um, but um, Charlie Christian never seemed to tire of playing the guitar, and I looked at some of his itineraries uh, as he moved from coast to coast, uh, from jazz clubs to rehearsals to Broadway, and uh, some of the pictures that I've collected from people's scrapbooks or people have sent me uh, capture just a schedule that looked it almost looked like he must have lived longer than 25 years. You know, he he would have been 26 on his birthday, uh, but he died prior to his birthday uh, in 1942. But he he played everywhere there was music, and so uh, when he died, I guess there was three simultaneous services around the United States, you know, in memory of him. And then they had a fourth one down in Bonham, Texas, which is where he was born. Uh, and I had an opportunity to meet some of the flower girls that participated in his uh, service down in Bonham, Texas. Bonham, Texas, for a while there was a gap there. They didn't really know who was lying over there in the grave. And I guess one of the um, musicians, admirers of Charlie Christian is Leo Valdez. Uh, Leo Valdez lives in Arizona today. And every time I think about it, Leo, Leo told me he was going to give me his whole collection uh, of Charlie Christian uh, memorabilia. Well... 
that will be quite a haul. He said, you have to come out here and get it. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine. So he's got it set up with his daughter that I should go out there. But Leo Valdez had been coming to the Charlie Christian Festival here, and I did not know it because he's such a quiet, unassuming kind of guy. But uh, he, I was um, in Bonham, Texas. We had raised money for a headstone because Charlie Christian was lying uh, in a grave, in an unmarked grave, so to speak, uh, without a headstone. Uh-huh. And we did a fundraiser, you know, to raise money. Downbeat Magazine helped us by running the story. And people sent all kinds of passionate letters, just like they knew him, but they didn't know him. But it was the impact that he had on their lives. Uh, Leo Valdez was one of the ones that, you know, sent a letter in. I have all those letters as part of what we do over here. Uh, but uh, down in Bonham, Texas, when we were uh, uncovering the headstone, uh, this guy came up to me. I was standing there, and he said, uh, follow me. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> oh, no. I, I mean, I don't—and I— I didn't know who he was. And I said, well, um, follow you where? And he said, right over there to my car. And I thought, oh, dear, an abduction at the graveyard. So uh, I said, well, why am I going with you over to your car? He said, I want to show you something. And I thought, oh, this is really terrible. I mean, what's going to happen next? So I thought... Okay, well, I can yell real loud if something goes down, and uh, you know maybe I'll have time to turn and run, you know whatever. So um, he took me. Uh, he I followed him to his car. He opened the trunk of his car, and he had these huge scrapbooks. He had three huge scrapbooks, and I thought, what is that? So he opened up, and it was all these scrapbooks were about Charlie Christian. It was as if the Leo Valdez had <laughs> traced every move that he made. He had his itineraries. He had all these wonderful pictures, and I forgot I was scared. Right, <laughs> so I became excited. I said, "Well, oh, this is great." I said, "How about?" Uh, how about you loaning me some of this, you know, because I started writing these first two or three little books uh, about Charlie Christian. And he said, oh, okay. I said, okay, what's the deal? I mean, how much do I have to pay? He said, oh, you don't have to pay me anything. Just make sure you mention my name. So I'm still mentioning Leo Valdez's name because he does have the greatest collection that I've seen or heard about. Uh, and that was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, he, I guess the only thing that he might be missing uh, might be the awards themselves, the platinum records, the gold records that Charlie Christian uh, received in that brief uh, time that he lived. He was everywhere. He was everything to everybody. I mean, he really impacted the lives of people and inspired. Um, some people wish they could play like Charlie Christian. Uh, and I found out that, you know, the average guitar player, you know, if you say, I, wish you, I want you to present like a Charlie Christian program on your guitar, they'll tell you quickly that I couldn't afford the expense of them learning how and then trying to put it together because they say it. They will tell you the music is too complex, it's too complicated. Uh, and it is. I, I found that out when I travel, started traveling the world and I saw that um, Charlie Christian's music is being taught, but it is being taught at the college level. It and uh, those who master it, they do well. But it, it is it's very uh, difficult, but uh, but it lives, it lives. 
and uh, so much so that um, Starbucks put out a special limited edition uh, version of the greatest guitarist, the 12 greatest guitarists in the world, and Charlie Christian heads the list. Yeah. I, yeah, everybody I knew at the time used to, that went to Starbucks, they would see it and they would buy it and they would give it to me. So I had many copies. Now I have one copy. I'm not, I'm not pulling that one out. No, no. Yeah. Uh, so Charlie Christian um, had one daughter he never married. Uh, his uh, childhood sweetheart he met in high school, uh, lived here in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was he had good intentions, but he wasn't a guy that was going to settle down in a house and, with a white picket fence and live happily ever after. That's what Margreta thought. Margreta was his girlfriend. Well, she moved in with Charlie Christian and his his family, and as Margreta put it. Uh, his mother was very stern about her boys. She had three boys. Uh, and uh, Margareta said it was her way of the highway, so I decided to take the highway. <laughs> so that's why that never ended in a marriage with a little house with a white picket fence. And to her, to, to this day, I mean, when Margareta died, she was still not appreciating uh, his talent, uh, you know, he did well uh, by her in taking care of his child. And when he died, Benny Goodman did well by Margareta and Billy Christian's, uh, Billy Christian, his daughter. And so until Billy Christian died, I mean, uh, Benny Goodman took real good care of the family. Um I was friends with them from the moment I met them, which was early on in the festival, uh, because they asked for T-shirts. And anything they asked for, I would always give it to them. You know, how many do you want? That was my response. And so even when uh, there was a a mix-up in public perception, and particularly those who uh, talked to Billie Jean and Margareta uh, and convinced them that we were really making a lot of money off of Charlie Christian. And we were not. It, see, it started out a free festival. But we, hey, what kind of festival can you have on $500 and you raise another $1,000? Uh, no, no. I mean, if you if you're gonna do a halfway decent festival, you gotta have at least a hundred thousand. You know, no question about. It. And we didn't have that. It was just a block party. <laughs> you know, we, it was just another one of our projects. And I could. And so one of my board members had said, Anita, we can't keep existing like this. You know, we gotta put a charge on it. And I said, Oh, they'll kill me if I do. So we. Uh, came up with a button. Uh, it was an admission button, and we charged $2 for it. Oh, gee, you'd have thought all of heaven had broke loose and come down here, and, you know, these people were trying to teach me a new way of looking at things. You know, I said, it's just $2? You know, we have to pay for the stages. We have to pay the musicians. We have, to, And we can't do it the way, you know, we were doing it. And uh, I won't call the name of this particular organization, but, you know, they were selling the beer. You'd have thought a church never would sell beer, (laughs) but that's where the, you know, drinks were. So we took that over and said, and they were angry with us, you know, because that's how they raised money to pay their minister, right? And so... um, we were just kind of like in a situation. And then when the family said, oh, we're not asking for that much. Just share with us, you know. I said, there's nothing to share. There's nothing to share. When discussing it with the board, of course, the board said, well, what are we going to do? They didn't have the answer. So 
in my infinite wisdom, which is not true, uh, I said, well, we'll have to change the name of the festival. I mean, because, I mean, it doesn't look good to be fighting with the family and public over their relative and their relative's name. So that was when we changed the um, block party name from Charlie Christian Jazz Festival to Deep Deuce Jazz Festival. And I said, well, a nickname is not going to sue you in court. I said, so it's the safest thing. And so for a while there, it was the Deep Deuce Festival instead of Charlie. And the family was just heartbroken because they didn't expect us to. I said, well, I mean, what choice did we have? But then, you know, Deep Deuce got to be an issue, too, because— um, you know, the buildings had been uh, standing, not being cared for. They were dilapidated in bad need of something. And here we were partying in the middle of the street all around these dilapidated buildings. And so uh, right after the bombing, uh, Timothy McVeigh incident here, um, the city was out there looking for a place to put all of these body parts and stuff they were getting out of the Marlboro They came down to the festival, to Deep Deuce, and started just unloading all of these body parts with the dirt, you know, from the Marlboro And we were getting ready to have the festival. It was bad enough, you know, that uh, the bombing had taken place and other other organizations that had festivals around here, they tried to have they didn't they didn't have the same issue we had. They were downtown, and you know people weren't going. They weren't in the mood, you know, for any kind of festival. People were hurting, and so we finally got past that part of it, and uh, then it was festival time for us down there and. And um, I'll call his name, Craig Brown, uh, had won the contract from the city to move all that debris, you know, from the bombing site. And he brought it right down there on 2nd Street because he had started buying up the dilapidated properties down there. And he had something in mind that I didn't really know him. I didn't know he was doing all of this contracting and dreaming behind the scenes of his dream. But we were down there, and uh, Craig decided as we were setting up the uh, soft drinks and uh, to move the stuff around. And the festival chairman went, went over and said, well, what's going on? Well, I just thought I'd clean up the site. And he wanted to know, well, why, why are you just now cleaning up the site. I mean, he had this bulldozer and dust was flying everywhere. <laughs> and so finally, um, Craig got off, you know, the the bulldozer and he came on over and he said that, you know, he actually owned the sites that we were on. And we were kind of like, well, what do we do now? So you start kind of negotiating, well, how about just letting us finish this project this year and we'll see what happens after that. I'm sorry, I didn't know that you had purchased these sites. So we managed through that dilemma and folk had a good time. And so uh, Craig didn't do anything right away. You know, he just uh, was, he was working the scenes, behind the scenes. And little did I know until I received a phone call from Dallas and uh, I was trying to get a Kentucky Fried Chicken sponsorship. And I was working with this young lady and she called and she said, have you seen the Dallas Morning News? I said, no, I haven't. I, you know, I don't usually read the Dallas or New York Times you know, down here. Anyway, she said, well, you need to read it. She said, I'm going to send it to you. So there was this huge article, two-page article. Craig Brown was down there with Seward 
Evans, who was a saxophonist that was a friend of Charlie Christian's at that time. And they had my books. They had my books. And Craig was fishing. He was trying to get an investor to come up and invest in his dream. And I was just so outdone. Here I had just written these little books. and there, A two-page spread in the Dallas Morning News. I said, oh, my God. I mean, what? So yeah. I was talking with um, Charlie Nicholson, who had a music store here, and he sold all kinds of old records and old books. And I had placed a number of books over there in his store. Well, Craig had gone over there, and Charlie loaned him the books. He didn't even buy the books. He loaned him the books, and Craig went down there and made the big— and so the Worthing Corporation— noticed the story, came up here, and decided that it was a prime location to feed into downtown and the future of Oklahoma City. And uh, still, I didn't really know what was going on, and uh, I got a phone call from Craig Brown, and he said, come down here, I want to talk to you. So I went down, and, you know, everybody was upset with us anyway, you know about uh, taking the beer away from the salary of a religious leader and uh, and the family wanted money, all of that. So uh, when I went down, Greg was gracious. He hosted me, and he told me, he broke the news to me. He said, well, Anita, I just want you to know that your dream is not my dream. I said, what is your dream? And he told me he saw condos and expensive apartments and all of this stuff instead of the Charlie Christian Festival and what might come out of that, which he doubted much was going to come out of that. So there we were. Um, Everybody was kind of angry with us. And so we... Uh, the, the board again asked me, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, let me talk to Kerr McGee. Kerr McGee is no longer here in the city, but they had this parking lot, you know, right up the street across from Calvary Baptist Church where uh, Charlie Christian was funeralized. That was where one of his uh, services was held. And uh, I asked them if we could use the parking lot. I said it would still be on 2nd Street. It just wouldn't be right in the heart, you know, like the 300 block. That was really what people referred to as Deep Deuce. Just that one block, 300 Northeast 2nd. Well, it was up the street, you know. So we moved into the parking lot that was fenced. I mean, it was a parking lot, right? You would have thought that I erected the fence just for... People came down and pointed their fingers up in my face and accused me of being in this fenced area. I said, the fence has been here for years. (laughs) We just moved it up to keep it on 2nd Street. I was always having to explain, you know, these moves that we were making because the, the, um, I guess the community didn't really they weren't in tune with the plans for the city and other business leaders around here. And so uh, based on that, you know, we, we got the wrath of the public, you know, for a number of years. And while we were in, in the enclosed fence that they were accusing me of building, one of my board members said, uh, Anita, it's inevitable. Let's just move it down to Bricktown. I thought, oh, no, you're not going to have me tarred and feathered and put on a rail and sent out of town. I said, they'll never go. Because at that time, the community in Northeast Oklahoma City did not trust 
there was no trust when it came to city officials or what the city's plans were. They were just as wide apart as the Mississippi River. You know, they didn't even think alike. So um, I dragged my feet and I said, no, we, you know, that's not the right move. We can't go down there. I said, these folk will claw my eyes out. I know they will. <laughs> and so, um, so we stayed in the fenced area, you know, for a while. And then they started building, you know, the building, the new construction started. And then I was racing down to the courthouse to uh, make sure that we owned the name Charlie Christian Festival, Charlie Christian Deep News Festival, you know, Deep News Foundation. I, I was coining all of these names, right? And Craig Brown went down there and just simply coined Deep Deuce. I was so outdone, I didn't know what to do. Because I had Deep Deuce Festival, Deep Deuce Trust, Deep Deuce, not just Deep Deuce. And so that's how those signs started appearing down there. There's a cute sign that said Deep Two, Deep Deuce. Well, see, all of that was our history and our heritage. And those were just simply nicknames for the 300 block of Northeast 2nd Street. So now, today, I mean, all of that area is uh, referred to as Deep Deuce. Deep Deuce was just one block long. Yeah. And it that one block contained everything that anybody needed. You know, the Aldrich Theater was there. The uh, And Charlie Christian appeared, you know, at the Aldrich Theater uh, before Benny Goodman met him. Uh, Mrs. Bro was his teacher, and she was a famous teacher, still is, uh, who was declared the supervisor of music for the colored schools. That's what her title was at that time. She would not allow jazz or blues music to be played in school, but uh, she everybody had to learn classical music. Charlie Christian knew classical music just like everybody else did. A lot of people later on said that, you know, Charlie Christian didn't know that, that that just was the furthest thing from the truth. Charlie Christian went with Mrs. Bro, you know, to the World's Fair that was held in uh, Chicago. And that's when Duke Ellington first heard Ms. Bro's band, and that's how their friendship started. But Charlie Christian was part of that band. Uh, so it just wasn't the truth that he couldn't read music. He most certainly could. Uh, some musicians couldn't, like Jay McShann, you know. Jay admitted that he, he played by ear, you know, but uh, Charlie Christian wrote music. And uh, John Hammond, as a matter of fact, kind of intimated that he thought that Benny took a lot of Charlie Christian's music and called it his own when, in fact, he didn't write it. Uh, but Charlie Christian was purely a genius, way, way, way ahead of his time. And um, based on everything I see is, as I look back on it, you know, he will live and live. Black Liberated Arts Center, you know, we were the ones that raised him from the dead, so to speak, uh, to to call attention to his contribution to the music world. And so today, he is now in every major music hall of fame in the world. But then uh, it was 2018 before Oklahoma finally put him in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. And that prompted other halls of fame around the country to send letters and say, ask the question, what took you so long? So <laughs> that's a good question. But uh, in talking with uh, in talking with uh, OCCC, the, uh, some of the staff, uh, a legal person out there said, well, Anita, Charlie Christian was kind of reminded you of Jesus's experience. I said, what was that? So she said, not appreciated in his own hometown. 
And I said, now that's exactly right. And I said, even to this day, you know, you can say something about Charlie Christian and the, some folk will say, Charlie, who? <laughs> you know, and you say, uh, we're not raising owls around here, are we? Yeah. Who? So, um, at any rate, that's uh, kind of uh, a brief overview yeah. of a great first pioneer trailblazer all of the, that's what Charlie Christian was, to describe him, but his contributions will live on forever and ever. And Black Liberated Arts Center uh, plans to take Charlie Christian into perpetuity with us. Um, not too long ago, we renewed our um, papers, corporate papers, and found that we could go into perpetuity and not have to worry about every 50 years or somebody 50 years down the road forgetting to. So we renewed into perpetuity and uh, the History Center was over about a week or so ago. And in putting together the collection that I was speaking of, uh, I was told that you should set a couple of goals when you're preserving your body of work and you want to say the things that you intend to take into perpetuity I said Charlie Christian is number one I mean there's no getting around that I said even though uh, he's been dead since 1942 there's still when you go Technology, we're talking about. When you go on the internet, you will see 72 million inquiries against that name, and it, from every major company, a country, excuse me, in every major language. And just uh, a couple of Sundays ago, uh, a, a, a guy joined church. It's a church that I go to, and uh, to my amazement. Uh, the next Sunday, he was sitting up there playing the saxophone, you know, with the band that plays at our church, with the musicians, I'll put it that way, that play at our church. So he had two or three saxophones, you know, the, uh, the alto, the bass, and the soprano saxophone. And I went up and spoke to him, and I asked him if he only played secular music and he said oh no anything that's you know kind of uh, contemporary I play that I said oh we've got this festival coming up blah 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 and uh, you know I'd like for you to maybe come to the jam session because you've you know and you can join the band and play you know like they did in the old times and he said okay he said well what festival is that so I said it's the Charlie Christian Festival. I said, you may, he said, I know who Charlie Christian is. And that just delighted me, you know, because a lot of people say, who, you know, well, seemed like I heard that name. But he said, I know who Charlie Christian is. So I said, I'll tell you what, I don't have a business card today, but I'll have one next Sunday. So um, those moments are very uh, exciting. They're inspiring. And it, it gives you the feeling that you're really on to something and you're really making a contribution to the world uh, and uh, inspiring others around the world. So yeah. Charlie Christian is an inspirational figure. And uh, let's see, uh, it, it never ceases to amaze people. I'm not amazed anymore. Uh, but. Did I t tell you the story of the young man who flew from Japan to lay a wreath on his grave? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So it's stories like that, yeah. you know, where people call from other countries. And just as I was mentioning to you a few minutes ago, I mean, since we have such a cool logo this year, we're getting calls from out of the country, in the country, around the country. And there are people who say they will be here. I won't be surprised. People here will be surprised, but not me. Yeah. 
there's nothing very surprising to me about Charlie Kirsten because he was just uh, ahead of his time. Uh, there's no contest about that. Um, he was dead two and a half years before the next guitarist, Django Reinhardt, figured it out. And Mark Whitfield, believe it or not, who will be our headliner, yeah. uh, plays down at Django's in the village, you know, in New York. I said, now how cool is all that? It's just really all right. And uh, every so often, you know, I, I have to, you know, kind of ask some questions or put something out there to see if we're still relevant, you know, and that's, that's part of uh, my job here as executive director of Black Liberated Arts Center is to make sure that we are relevant and that our work is meaningful and that it has impact and that it will be remembered for a long, long time. And so that's what we're doing now, you know, as we put our collection together. And um, I'll tell you uh, something that happened just recently, uh, a few days ago. Uh, the architectural team, the, the design team for the Oklahoma City National Memorial, I'm working on a project with them and they are bridging the gap, so to speak, between the Douglas High School that I first came to attend here in Oklahoma City. It's called the Douglas Next Door, or it's located at 600 North High. So they're going to put a plaza uh, from there across to Washington Park, you know, which was also uh, famous back during the day. And so the two designers were over here, and they were showing me, they, they were amazed at the design that we have. They, they were crazy about it, too. Uh, so as we talked about this other project that we're working on, Black Liberated Arts Center, um, they had done some research, and they were showing me pictures, early pictures from the festival, the Charlie Christian Festival. And so these, there was a picture of the original Aldrich Theater. And it was standing in ruins. And I said, wait a minute, go back to that one, go back to that one. So they went back. I said, you know, that's the Aldrich Theater. You know, and Mrs. Bro owned that, and I said, you know, you have answered an age-old question with this picture. I wonder, where did you get it from? And so um, I learned that they had gotten it from the library, and I said, well, they want to know what was the age-old question. What was the color of the towel on the Aldrich Theater? And there it was in color. And so I said, that, you know, and we were really looking at that picture uh, and thinking about it, I mean, I went to the Aldrich Theater as a child, but I was just going to watch cowboy movies. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't pay any attention to the towel. But here, this design team, you know, who did the memorial had the picture. And so I said, I've got to have that picture. I mean, would you send it to me? And so they said, yeah, yeah, we'll be glad to. So they sent it to me. And as I was looking at the festival, I mean, at the picture, you know, uh, it didn't have, see, that's an image that we have. That's an artist's version. It's what the artist thought based on what she heard other people say. But it didn't really look like that. The colors are not... And people kept saying, well, what color was the time? I couldn't remember. So there it was. It's kind of a, a maroonish-looking uh, towel. But in looking at the picture closely after they sent it to me, I said, that was the Charlie Christian Festival in the old days. I could see that because there was a banner. And it was the original first banner we ever had. And it and and the theme of that banner ran through, you know, like uh, we had a visor that had the same thing. I thought, 
that's not a very good looking design but there there it was it was the festival it was when we were down there cleaning up the debris so that we could have the festival down there the first time and that was back in the mid to late 80s okay. when when uh, that picture was taken so I thought shoot I guess I need to go back over there to that library and finish going blind you know <laughs> looking at that microfish and all of the stuff that they have but it was amazing to me that yeah. you know uh, the library's archives yeah. uh, contain some of the work that started right here. That is really cool to have all that, have all that history, and to find it, right, and to rediscover it, and figure out, like, you know, just stuff that even to this day that you're amazed with. That you know, you think you know everything about Charlie Christian and the festival and everything, and then you see that, and you're like, wow, that, this is awesome. That's correct. So, that's tell co- me, tell me about um, <clears throat> finishing up a little bit. Where can people find the um, information about you know the festival? I know you mentioned June first. Second, third at OCCC. Where can people go if they're listening to buy tickets or to be involved? Well, the OCCC box office will be selling tickets to all three of the uh, activities that we have down there. Uh, The first night, June 1st, it'll be one band, uh, Morris, McRaven, and Friends, and musicians uh, who can either sing or play are invited to come and, you know, bring your instrument with you and that'll get you a free pass and you can get up there and play with the band. Uh, or you, if you sing, well, you know, sing a note or two, we'll, we'll let you in free. But uh, those tickets will be handled through the OCCC box office and in talking to them, uh, we're having to make some adjustments. We had thought that we were going to have them ready April 15th, but... They said, no, Anita, we've got to have some time, you know, because they have other events out there, too. So um, we're now shooting for May 1st okay. uh, through OCCC, and it is being promoted on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, um, all of the social media platforms will we'll be there. We've got a super, super... Uh, guy that's working with us on uh, the uh, marketing through social media. So that's kind of what people can expect. Okay, Just great. stay tuned. Yeah, it's it's going to happen and yeah. it's going to be great. It's going oh, to be yeah. really great. And uh, on the uh, 2nd mm-hmm. of June, that's when we have the Battle of the Bands, much like Charlie Christian used to play, you know, back in the day. That's where they started. It didn't start with the college bands. It started back in the day when they had territorial bands. And Charlie Christian would travel sometimes with uh, some of these bands. And the idea was to see who could play the best, which band could outplay the other one. And so we're going to have two bands. We're going to have Straight Ahead from Detroit. And we're going to have Grady Nichols and... Straight Ahead just added a guy. It used to be an all-female quintet, but it's a quartet plus one, (laughs) and it's the male guy that's in there, but they'll be kind of duking it out with um, Grady Nichols, you know, who's famous in a lot of places around. So that'll be fun because those ladies can play. I mean, that's, that's where Regina Carter came from. And I was uh, telling the designers about Regina Carter, and they said, Regina who? I said, you didn't say that. She played for the Queen. She played her jazz on the Stradivarius. And so they they were familiar with that. I said, 60 Minutes carried the story. Yeah. I said, and uh, I was going to order, you know, um, that interview that 60 Minutes did with Regina, because I, I had head straight ahead here with Regina Carter before she went out on her own and she tore it up then you know and I said Regina Carter played not only the Stradivarius I said when the NEA recently 
was broadcasting, you know, who they had selected for NEA Masters. And I said, that's when they give you those big old checks for $750,000 up to a million. Regina Carter was one of the ones that got it. Amazing. I said, that's right. Yeah. And I said, uh, she also played the sacred violin down there in Madrid. Seemed like the king of Madrid had one of those violins that once a year somebody played. So she played it down there, but she didn't have the same issue with the, as the queen. The queen said, nobody plays jazz on the Stradivarius. I mean, that's how classical it's there. She said, I'm playing jazz because that's what I do. that's what I do, yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, this is straight ahead minus Regina Carter, but they're still, they can still whip them up pretty good. Yeah. So it's going to be great. And then last day? The last day, Johan Kimbrough, who is also known as Short Dog around here, very popular, uh, is going to really present a two-hour show because he has the granddaughter that's gone professional. She's about 10 or 11 years old. Oh, yeah. And she's very popular. So she's coming up from Atlanta. And they're going to open the concert. And it'll start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The other two will start at 6 in the evening, since those are work days. And then we'll go on and we'll end up. We have some young talent in there, you know, such as Taylor Deneen, who graduated. We're going to let Taylor open for Mark Whitman because both of them went to the uh, Berkeley School of Music. They were both honor students, only she was magna cum laude. And um, she's going to open for Mark Whitfield that evening as the headliner. And so it's going to be great. It'll be great food. It'll be great music. It'll be great everything you ever wanted. Yeah, don't miss it. That's right. Don't miss it. You Uh, have to be there. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for an hour sharing more stories. I can't wait for people to listen to this and and hear more about Charlie and hear more about the festival. And, yeah, I mean, hopefully someone listens to this and comes out to the festival and gets the experience that they never thought they would, and then they become a fan. So that's the goal. But thank you so much for everything you do. I really appreciate it. For people listening, I'll put the links. I'll find the links for all the social media stuff and information about the festival, and you can go straight to that down in the description. And yeah, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln.
This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Weihai in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.